It is the 2018 Christmas Spectacular version of the Corey Truax Show. We'll start right after this. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains. And the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Gentlemen, we are but days away from the actual event of Christmas. If you have not finished up that Christmas shopping, you need to get that done. And I say gentlemen because it would likely only be the gentleman that would wait this long. My name is Corey Truax. We are dedicated to smarter, better, deeper talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. And it's going to be a fun one today as we go through the Christmas edition of the show. Our tradition here is to spend the beginning part going through a Christmas hymn. And we're going to do that, but Ed Wiley is one of my... Uh, favorite internet comedians, and he is an impressionist. He does impressions of all the presidents. And I just want to start with him as they discuss singing the Christmas carols. You will hear Ed Wiley here just for some fun on the Christmas special. Starting as Donald Trump, he also does George W. Bush, he does Barack Obama. This is Ed Wiley to get us started. Now that I've passed my tax cuts, I'm going Christmas caroling, and I need to know what songs you want to sing all up and down Pennsylvania Avenue. I definitely want to sing Good King Water, uh... Good King Worcester, Good King Worcestershire, and maybe uh, Hark the Angels Are High. Uh, let's sing I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. I like hippopotamuses, and hippopotamuses like me, but only in states that are blue. Well, my favorite Christmas song is definitely Little Drummer Boy. It's kind of like Little Rocket Man, except he has a drum. And I love what he's doing with that drum. It's amazing. It's kind of like my tweets. Ba-rum-bum-bum-bum-bing. And off it goes, and it's beautiful. It's amazing. And I also like Christmas stories. Probably my favorite Christmas story goes like this. When out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter, I knew that it had to be Bernie Sanders. From the top of the porch to the top of the wall, no copays, no copays, free health care for all. Just Ed Wiley to get you started with some fun and talking about some Christmas carols amongst the presidents. Here's where we'll start today for the serious stuff. If I did not mention, I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at Greenville High School in downtown Greenville on Sunday mornings at 1030. You, whoever you are, you are cordially invited to join us for uh, Christmas services or any other given service. 1030 Sunday mornings at Greenville High School in downtown Greenville for Beachwood Church. I want to talk about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now, this song has like seven verses. It's been added to over time of the original, I think, three or four stanzas. But first, musically. Some of you just na- naturally will, uh, this will resonate with you. Music's a powerful communicator in and of itself. With no lyric spoken, music has the ability to make you feel things. This is why movies use them. This is why TV uses them. This is why you can actually get an emotional reaction at a symphony because the the tension that can be created with just an instrument, not a storyline, but just the sound of, a, of an anticipated conclusion in a set of notes, it can create in you reaction. It can create in you emotion. You'll see this as you... 
watch movies give you one example. I was recently recently watching a Hallmark movie and a Hallmark Christmas movie and the main character it was called Mingle All the Way, by the way. And uh, the main character was about to find out if she was going to get the investment she needed for her app. And in the moments leading up to the announcement from the investor, if the investor was going to give her the money she needed, they swelled the music in what I think was a minor chord so as to build tension, build tension, build tension, not just in the story, but in your own heart and mind. The music is building tension for you so that you can feel the conclusion of the tension when that next note hits. Music is inherently emotional. It it evokes emotion in you. And the actual tune to the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it, it's, it's for that. It's for anticipation. It's built to have you feel the tension of, of something that is desired and it finally coming. This is why I like to use the illustration often this time of year, trying to get back to that feeling your kids have about what's coming on December 25th. There's a building tension and building anticipation. Well, this song is less about the excitement of that anticipation. It's almost the longing. It's, it's, it's not necessarily unhappy, but it's certainly not a holly jolly Christmas song. This is a song begging for its, desiring for its conclusion that there would be a reconciliation of the thing that it's missing. And so that's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I just want to highlight three of the, uh, we'll start with these three verses, because there's like seven verses, but the most common start this way, uh, because every verse opens with a different name for the coming Messiah, a different name for the God of the Bible, and those names in every verse are significant, especially if you sing this in church, think through that, that every time you open a new verse of this song, you're getting a new name, there's a new meaning to have uh, emphasis. So it starts with, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You'll get a verse that says, O come, thou day spring, come and cheer. And you will get, O come, desire of nations. So just take those three. For the context of the person who would be writing the song and, uh, and to, the, to the Jews who would be singing this song, like that, that's, the, that's supposed to be the context, the idea of, We've had this promise forever. When is this promise going to get fulfilled? When are we going to get this Messiah? When is he finally going to come? And so you get this this longing for conclusion, and it's, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, God be with us. It feels like you've been silent too long. We feel abandoned. Oh, come, Emmanuel. That term meaning God with us. Oh, come, God be with us. How about this one? Oh, come, thou dayspring. Oh, come, you dayspring. Jesus called himself the dayspring. And I think that's my, it's Luke or Matthew, but it's the idea of the long night has ended. If you're listening to me and you've lived any life at all, I would imagine you can identify with what I'm about to say. You ever felt like the, the night won't end? The metaphorical night? Not just this time of year where it's dark for 15, 16 hours a day. I'm talking you are in the situation, you are in the turmoil, and there is just no telling when the sun will come up. And in that darkness, it's not just, oh, come, oh, come, God be with us. It's, oh, come, just 
the day spring. Come and shine some light on this. Have the darkness in. That is, O come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here, by your coming here. Come and cheer us out of this night. O come, O come, Emmanuel, O come, day spring. When Jesus said day spring, he was saying, I have come to, sh- to start the day, the day of my kingdom. It is dawning, and we do believe he's coming again. That's the other part of this time of year. We believe he's coming again to bring it in fullness. So come, Emmanuel, O come, day spring. And then, O come, desire of nations. What's the desire of nations? If you ask and go poll the majority of people throughout the 200 and some odd nations on this planet, I bet one of your most common answers is just going to be peace. Not even necessarily peace among the nations. What's the desire of the people of the nations? What are nations made up of but people? They just want to live their lives. They just want to live peaceably and not have to stress out about every little thing. Oh, come you desire of nations. Bind our hearts and mind is what that next, that next line is. As we go into this joyous time of year, think through those lyrics. This is what we sing for. This is what we're hoping for. And we get to celebrate the first coming. We get to celebrate that uh, Emmanuel did come. God did put on flesh and dwell among us. Oh, the day spring has come. The sun has risen. There is dawn on this earth. Jesus has started his kingdom. Oh, oh, come desire of nations. Oh, he did come. He has, and, and his effects have been far-reaching. There's not a, a continent on this planet where the, the name of Jesus has not been proclaimed. We have seen the, de- the day come, the desire of nations come. We have seen God come in the flesh. And so we joy in that and we celebrate in that in this time of year, this Advent, this Christmas season, and then we feel that longing. Oh, but come and stay. Oh, and come and build that kingdom in its fullness. One of the main tropes, or I guess that, that word seems to have like a negative connotation. One of the themes theology is called already and not yet, already and not yet, that we're already in the kingdom, but it's not yet in its fullness, that we've already been justified, but we're not yet totally perfect and glorified. There's the already, the joy of what's already happened, but there is the not yet, the anticipation of what is to come. And the Christmas season, this Advent season, is this really fantastic time of year to emphasize that for ourselves and for our kids as we get around those gifts, there's joy we already have. But then we also, oh, this that's the, the lie of this time of year. We have all this joy. But Monday's coming. You're going back to work at some point. A lot of the problems you went into the Christmas season with are going to be there when the Christmas season goes. There is joy in that season, but there's also that longing that not yet to have all of these things reconciled. So I hope you sing that at church. Think it through when you do. Maybe sing it on Christmas morning. It's uh, Again, it's not a holly jolly song. It's music is designed to make you feel the longing to have all things made right, to have the full reconciliation of the kingdom of God in its fullness. When we return, I'm just going to straight up steal from Matt Chandler. 
I think he says it the best. He's the pastor of the Village Church down in Dallas, Texas. Beyond my own pastor, the guy who preaches most at the Beachwood Church, my own big brother. Uh, Matt Chandler's my favorite guy. There's just very few people as gifted as he is in communicating true things, and he's got a really good theme for Christmas. And I'll go ahead and give it to you. That Advent, this real Christian holiday, the one we celebrate truly who Jesus is, as in contradistinction to Christmas, this Americanized version that's become very material, very materialistic, that Advent keeps the promises that Christmas breaks. So that's what I want to talk about when we come back. Christmas makes some promises, and it never keeps them. But Advent actually keeps the promises that Christmas breaks. We'll do that, and we'll do a whole lot more fun stuff when we come back for the remainder of the Christmas Spectacular. That is a bit ambitious, by the way, calling it a spectacular. We'll just call it the Christmas Special. The Christmas Special of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Christmas special of the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us. You want to give me a Christmas present because you're so nice and you're generous? The way to do that is just share the show with others. Very appreciative when you do that out on social media. Uh, We are slowly growing. By the way, if you are so inclined, you can go search for this group. They're a great show, interesting people, called Unframe of Mind. Unframe of Mind show. They had me on as a guest. We talked about one of my big themes. My friend Chandler actually texted me a sermon. This uh, by text me a sermon, I mean a te- like a link to a sermon. He didn't actually text me a sermon. You know what I mean? That's a weird thing to say. Uh, he, uh, of uh, from Passion City Church this week of one of my big themes, which is we we don't have to hate each other. We can even love our enemies. I believe Jesus actually talked about that. You, you don't have to see people who don't think like you, whether that be a Republican, a Democrat, a liberal, a uh, conservative, a uh, an American, an anti-American. Like you don't actually have to see anyone as an enemy. You're not. You don't have to do that. It's not a burden on you. You can actually see everybody as someone made in the image of God, and you can try to create peace in this world. You can actually love your enemies. It's a thing we actually should be trying to do. By the way, uh, in any of any event, they had me on. Very gracious guys. We don't agree on some things. Quite a few things to talk about that. To talk about how we can not hate each other so much and how we might be effective communicators and then even try to model that some in some conversations about different topics. So you can get that podcast everywhere you can get mind, Unframe of Mind, Unframe of Mind. You can also get it on YouTube and it would be a big help to me and to them, by the way, if you go give the YouTube uh, channel a, a view and then leave a comment as well. Those guys that are out there on YouTube, I'm not really a YouTuber, YouTube algorithms use a ton of uh, that metric. Are you getting comments? Not just are you getting views, but are you getting people engaging with your content through comments? So even if you just go by there and say, hey, thanks for having Corey on, I know it would be a big help to them. Uh, So you can go out and find that as well, Unframe of Mind. Uh, But thanks for connecting to the show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. Now, Christmas. I do love this time of year. I love it more this, I don't know, as, as I get older, and particularly this year has been sentimental. I am a I'm a fan of Christmas, but we should acknowledge that there's like an American version of this thing that I'm not listen, I'm not anti Santa and you you having your kids do Santa things or I'm not I'm not anti Rudolph. Uh, I don't mind the other things that come along with it. I just think we should acknowledge that there is the actual thing we're saying we're celebrating, which in church history is better called Advent. 
the advent of Jesus, the appearing of Jesus, and then all the other stuff that we're lavishing one another with gifts, that we spend a lot of time on things that aren't Christmas related, but like, let me, let me just be, let's be really clear. They're not Advent related. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a fine show. It's not really Jesus related. Uh, what's some of those others? Um, Elf. I love Elf with, um, with Will Ferrell. Very funny movie. Well, it's not Jesus related. Like, it's the American thing we created. We created a time of year where it's at the end of the year, so there's anticipation for a new one. Uh, it's very commercialized, very materialized, and uh, or materialistic, excuse me. And so that's a different holiday. I, I'll admit, I, I like the American version of Christmas. But the real thing that we get to celebrate, the advent of Jesus, that's, that's the one that's real that we're supposed to be celebrating. And so I do find them to be in distinction. There is the celebration of Christmas, which is a kind of secular thing at this point. And there's the celebration of Advent, the celebration of the coming of God in the flesh. Matt Chandler from the Village Church, one of his big themes this time of year, every year, is that Advent, the one that the Christian would practice, the holiday the Christian would follow, that it keeps promises that Christmas breaks. I'll give you just some examples from me. Now, I'm, now granted, I'm taking, the, <laughs> I'm taking the structure from Matt Chandler, but now I'm going to build on the structure. You might even say, I'm taking the tree from Matt Chandler, and now I'm going to decorate it differently. You might even say that. Hang some different ornaments on that tree. Christmas makes promises. It makes the promise that there is going to be this time, this day, these few days, where, where I'm really going to be able to find my meaning. I'm going to be appreciated for what I offer, what I contribute. I'm going to be recognized for the role I play in my family. My family is going to behave in a way that I'm proud of, and they're going to appreciate one another. There's going to be peace in my home. I will be recognized for being the good mother, the good father, the good sibling that I am, from which I find meaning. There was a study I saw this week that reemphasizes something that's been a theme on the show this year. That the, the the epidemic we have in the United States is an epidemic of meaning. It's a crisis of meaning. That when we removed the structures of faith that we have, that people are having trouble finding. Well, why am I here? Well, what is the per- what is the purpose in life? And, and and also when we became so not just insulated but also self focused, that when we've terminated our meaning on ourselves and we're so self obsessed about what we want, following our heart, and do what's right for you. We have found that that's totally just, we, we drown in that. And it's self-defeating because we're, we're not, us by ourselves, we're just not worth living for. And so meaning used to be found outside of us. And Christmas has this idea, this promise to you that it makes, well, you'll find meaning in this season because some of the circumstances surrounding it are going to make you feel about you the way you want to feel. And then Christmas comes... And they weren't as excited about that gift as you thought they were going to be. And your spouse wasn't quite as appreciative as you thought they should have been about all the sacrifice you put in and the effort you put in to get those gifts to make the house look this way. Your kids are going to get bored with what they with, with what you got them. They're not going to say as many thank yous as you thought they would. And the Christmas season is going to get away and it lied to you. It was going to give you meaning. There's, there's still going to be fights on Christmas Day. 
amongst your family. Your in-laws or your grandparents are still going to say something disapproving of the way you're handling your family. Christmas was making this promise that there was going to be some meaning you could find in it, and it lied. Christmas makes a promise that you will find fulfillment. Not just meaning, but you'll be fulfilled by it. That there's going to be this abiding peace, abiding happiness, abiding joy from the experiences that you get out of this Christmas season with you and your family. And it's going to be good. Oh man, do I hope it's good for you. But Christmas ends. You do have to get up the next day. No matter how good the 25th is, 26th is coming. And it might be fulfilling, but it makes this promise of real, deep, long-term fulfillment, and it will not keep that promise. Christmas might make the promise of relief. Yet this long, hard year, man, maybe Christmas is going to be some relief. I get to be around some, some people who are supportive or be around some people who uh, who care about me or that I, I get to express what, what, that I care about them. And it's just a good time of year. I'm going to get some, some Christmas cheer. And then it comes and there's not nearly the relief you thought there was going to be. Christmas makes all kinds of promises. I could go on. It promises you that if you just get that one thing. I, I Apparently on TV, what I'm finding out is if you are uh, not getting your spouse a car, then you've had a really bad Christmas, right? So this, there's this, this promise Christmas makes that you're going to feel good about you if you get someone a given thing, or you'll be super happy if you are given this one thing. That's what's going to make you happy. And you either get that thing and it's dissatisfied, or you don't get that, th- it's dissatisfying, or you don't get that thing and you're disappointed and Christmas makes all these promises and it can not keep them. But you know what can keep them? Advent. Finding identity, finding meaning in who Jesus says we are. Not in the reactions of anyone else. Not in the opinions of anyone else. But first and preeminently in what we are declared to be biblically. If you are in Christ, you're made in the image of God, and you are called a son or daughter of God. You might find that trite, and I find it so freeing. You might find it cliche, and that is where I derive all my meaning. You might find it too simplistic, and that is where I get all my relief. Advent keeps those promises. That or Christmas says you're going to find meaning in how other people see you. Well, no, that's not that's not the meaning here. You, th- this this temporal world is not where you're going to find any ab- abiding meaning or any long term fulfillment because all of those things. Oh man, is Christmas a great example of what Ecclesiastes teaches? It's not just time is going to lead to the degradation and to the breakdown of the gifts that you give. And Christmas is something that shows you the next day something you got your kids, something you got someone breaks or wasn't nearly as good as you thought it was going to be. Like the next day, you don't even need the year to sometimes Ecclesiastes says to not be fulfilled by it. Not You know, you place expectations on this day, ways in which you think you're going to feel and experience things, and then you don't, and you get disappointed. And Christmas will throw it right in your face. You don't get what you expect. Advent, though, it it keeps all those promises. 
the promise of a king, the promise of a redeemer, the promise of a someone who will rule with truth and grace and justice. All those promises are kept. So Christmas is fine. Celebrate. It's fun. Fun time. Christmas. Advent. Advent, though, is where all the promises get kept. And speaking of Advent, that's where I want to go next. If you didn't grow up practicing Advent, then I do want to give you the themes of it. There's four, typically four weeks of Advent on the church calendar. So when you get into high church world. So I would include this, I would include my Catholic people uh, with this, but certainly uh, certain types of Presbyterians, maybe even like Episcopals would have followed the church calendar. I think we tossed it out in a really disadvantageous way amongst Baptists. Uh, it's, it's really useful, the church calendar. I wish we would have them all in our homes and follow throughout the year uh, the the ways in which we should be marking the year. You know, this is one way in which it shows that we are very different. Uh, here, you know, One way that this has been poorly used. If you don't know, like let's go with North Korea, that they they think it's like year 300 and something. I, I don't remember what year they think it is. But they consider time began when the first of the Kim Jong-un ills was born. That's the beginning of time for us. When the communist governments took over in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s in, in Europe, they were working literally on a different calendar. So you know, in, in commerce and in business, they might have worked off the calendar the whole world was work, uh, was going through. But the Soviets basically considered the world started when we started. That's the beginning of all things. And so they were working from a different calendar. It's really a political statement with them. Well, here we are, the Christians, and we have this calendar that's it's fine. We're our, but it's a pagan calendar in the end. All the months are named for pagan gods. And we, we, we have these different times of the year that are marked, like even the solstices and things. Like It's a pagan calendar. And so while we all operate in the same world using this pagan calendar, let's be Christians who also know that, well, you know, we're not from here, and we actually follow a different calendar. And one of those is Advent. So the four weeks of Advent, those themes, and I want to emphasize one. There's the theme of hope. We talked about that week one with O Holy Night, the thrill of hope that we need hope like we need air, like it's, it is a necessity in life that we can be looking forward that something is going to be better than it previously was. We're going to talk about peace in a second. That's the second week's theme. Number three is joy. The joy of that that hope being fulfilled. The, the joy of Jesus coming. The celebration that comes along with it. And then love. Love is the final week theme of Advent where it's the, the culmination of all these things where that hope has been met. There's joy for it. It's brought peace. And now we love one another in it. This is the, These are the themes of Advent. But for peace. I want to talk about that really quick. Uh, I mentioned earlier a sermon that a friend, Chandler, sent me from Passion City Church. They are going through, it seems to be something of a Christmas series, and they're talking about peace, because that's, again, one of the themes of Advent. And I want to play for you just a, a little bit of that sermon, because he makes a very good point, where we have a choice to make about whether or not we're going to take the peace that we have as Christians and cloister ourselves away and hide ourselves to try to to keep the peace for ourselves that we're just going to we're going to separate ourselves to as to preserve the peace that we enjoy or we have the option maybe the command to go and try to spread that peace to others 
I actually don't even don't even remember the name of the guy who preached this, but uh, I, I got it sent to me, and it's really good stuff. Just want to play it for you a little bit of this uh, of this sermon, asking that question: What are we going to do with the peace that we have? Are we going to share it or not? Because that's the world today. The world's a dark place. Everybody knows that. Everybody feels that. Something wrong with the world today. And you got responses of how we're going to handle it. As the world is unjust and cruel to us, we can make the decision and I'll be part of the problem. That's what Jean Valjean did in Les Mis. The world hated me and so it said he sentenced the world to his hatred. I will hate you right back. That's what those young men did at Columbine. In the last letter they wrote before they opened fire at that school, they said the world's been cruel to us and so we will join in the cruelty. I got to cut in there. I would ask you if that's you at all. Don't we all know that person? They are mean. They are cantankerous. They cause problems. Why? Because they, the way they see it, the world has been bad to me. I've been disadvantaged. I've been taken advantage of, and I'm going to take advantage of others. That's my response to the bad things that have happened to me. That is one option with what we've been given. Others of us, when we see that the world is an unjust place and a dangerous, scary place, what do we do? In an act of pure self-preservation, we run to the safest corner possible and gather around us trinkets and baubles to make ourselves comfortable and just wait it out until our inevitable cold demise. Or others of us. Before he gets to that third category, that one is the one I was talking about with a lot of Christians. We see the world is in disaster. It's in peril. And because it terrifies us, it scares us, the idea of not having security and the peace that we want, well, we're just going to go hide. We're just going to go abandon the world to all of its violence, to all of its peril, to all of its brokenness. Say, I want a different life. I am going to join the ever-growing wave of those who've been set free, and I will use my liberty to set others free. That's the choice before us. So we've been in this series about the missing peace, that Jesus came to bring peace. And now last week was about internal peace we can experience. This week is about external peace. How do I be part of the solution? I got to cut him off there because we're going to run out of time here. But that is a choice before us even this Christmas. We can take what we've been given, the peace, even the joy, the hope, the love, these themes of Advent, and we can just kind of try to preserve them for ourselves. That's one option we have. Or, we take the words of Jesus, like here we are celebrating his birth, his, the beginning of his earthly life, at the conclusion of his resurrection. So he resurrects, he spends time, spends time in a real body with followers, and he's standing on a hillside with all the Christians in the world. Consider that for a minute. He is sitting on, he's standing on a hillside with every Christian that exists, likely, There might be some stragglers somewhere uh, that didn't come for his ascension. But this this movement that's two billion, this this church of his, that's two billion people, is what people say, worldwide, was a few hundred people on a hill in a faraway place. And while we celebrate him in a manger, here he is at the end of his life, and he says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is his command. It is, it's not actually an option that we have the peace, the joy, the love, the, the, the hope of the season and keep them internal. 
what we've been given by our king, this, this baby that we celebrate grows to be a grown man who is actually in, he was enthroned on the cross as, a, as the world saw it as a defeat. It was him actually defeating the greatest enemy we had, sin. He is up on that cross triumphant over our sin. He was a coming king who then beats death, coming out of that grave. And he gave us that command. So focus on those. This is good. We have hope that is coming again. We have peace that we can have confidence in this God who put on flesh and dwelt among us. We have joy. We can have abiding joy that even in some really hard times that we experience so much of in a really broken world, that there can be an undergirding joy of being with the one God who made us and sharing that love with others. This is part of what the Advent season is all about. We'll come back for just a little bit more, talking Christmas stuff, and then we will do uh, one of those things that's very Christmassy. We're going to talk about football because uh, it's this, it's that most wonderful time of the year. We'll be back with the final segment of the Christmas special here on the Corey Truax Show in just a moment. Oh, come let us I have a raging debate inside of me on whether to not do, to do some hard news that I think will just depress us all. I don't want to do that. But there's some stories out there. I'll try to get to them next week that I think deserve some comment. And then I also have the desire to just read Luke 2 to you. Uh, but I think, I think this is the most important. There is one story this week that we need to talk about. And that is of this pastor in China I hate not being able to, uh, I, I can't say his name. I can't pronounce it. I'm not even going to try. I will fail miserably. He, if you don't know, if you did not hear of this this pastor from Early Rain, Early Rain uh, Church, something like that, over in China, he was arrested, and w- along with a bunch of other, uh, like 100 members of his congregation, because the Communist Party in China is breaking, is cracking down on Christians there. If you're an American Christian and you're listening to me, that should do two things in your heart. You should be so grateful that God has put you where he has you. And also should fill your heart with a great deal of sympathy and empathy for your brother who is arrested for doing what we do on Sundays. Just practicing his faith. He's He's been put in jail. His name is, oh, there, I can pronounce his name, it's Wang Yi. I just want to read to you part of it because it's a long letter and you should go read every single word. It's incredible. Let me give you just some highlights from this pastor who has been imprisoned for doing nothing else but pastoring his church there in China. He wrote in a letter, Changing social and political institutions is not the mission I have been called to, and it is not the goal for which God has given his people the gospel. Here he is with this... He's not fighting for his rights. He's just saying, my job is is not these political concerns It's going to be the gospel, getting people the message of Jesus. He says, As the Lord's servant John Calvin said, wicked rulers are the judgment of God on a wicked people. Oh, listen to that American Christian. Wicked rulers are the judgment of God on a wicked people. Back to the quote. The goal being to urge God's people to repent and turn again toward him. For this reason, I am joyfully willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the law 
as though submitting to the discipline and training of the Lord. That is the attitude this Christian has towards his persecution. He, he writes, at the same time, I believe that this communist regime's persecution against the church is wicked. It's an unlawful action. As a pastor of a Christian church, I must denounce the wickedness openly and severely. Even there, he's not focusing on his own rights. He is saying, this is sin. It's wicked. I'm calling that out. He says in the same letter, The calling that I have received requires me to use nonviolent methods to disobey those human laws that disobey the Bible and God. My Savior Christ also requires me to joyfully bear all costs for disobeying wicked laws. American Christian, we could, we could learn from this guy. His humble attitude. He's not constantly looking for a fight. All the people that dislike him and hate him and he wants to make sure he wins the fight. Oh, he says, no. I will joyfully take the consequences of following my Jesus whatever those consequences may be. I want to read the very end of this letter because we're running out of time. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with natural compassion and grief toward those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom that I might take the gospel to them. He is praying for the power, the wisdom, and the courage to witness to his jailers and his interrogators. He writes, separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can, change, no one can make me change my life, and no one can raise me from the dead. And so, respectable officers... He says, stop committing evil. This is not for my benefit, but rather for yours and your children's. I plead earnestly with you to stay your hands, for why should you be willing to pay the price of eternal damnation in hell for the sake of, low, of a lowly sinner such as I? Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my king and the king of the whole earth yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant. I am imprisoned because I am his servant. I will resist in meekness. Those who resist God, I will joyfully violate all laws that violate God's laws. You're celebrating Christmas, and that's great. One of the things you can be grateful for is that you are not experiencing what this man is, but also we need to learn from it. Learn from him and the attitude he is taking into his persecution. And even that what we talked about earlier in finding meaning and finding significance, he has found his in Christ, not in his circumstances, not in his situation. He has found his meaning firmly in who Christ says he is. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to the show this year. We're going to move on to sports here in a minute. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Let's go ahead and move on to sports. What is the Christmas season without talking some football? That's what we're going to do for our sports segment this week with our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hello there, sir. Hello. So here's where we begin. Outside of the two games that we'll talk more in depth next week, right. Bama versus Oklahoma, Clemson versus... The only ones that matter. Ultimately, if we're <laughs> dealing with championships. Right. Um, but these other college kids get their bowl games. And hey, look, I'm a, I'm a fan of bowl season. Me too. You get to see all these games that, you know, they're just... 
fun to play. It's like a holiday bash, and half the players are not going to play in them anymore after this year. So that's becoming a it's a growing trend. It's a thing. Yeah, the uh, for New Year's Eve and New Year's to me, it's become part of my like it, it warms my heart. There's tradition in it. Right. Like when I was growing up, the big time bowls were. January 1st like mm-hmm. you made a, a a one January game like that was a big deal now you know there's games starting in mid-December they go all the way through but I enjoy it because I'm a college football freak anyway yes. so I like it I'm never going to complain about too much football right I certainly understand the argument that we got very mediocre teams playing in yeah, bowl games I get it that it's watered down I get it that these are six win teams I, I get that but I just like football so um, so let me give you some games, see if you have any interest. The other of the New Year's Six games, the least interesting one to me is Michigan-Florida. I agree. It's just because there's no offense in that game, right? There's not. First to 10 points wins? For, yeah, maybe 13. <laughs> Something like that. Right. There's not a lot of touchdowns in that game. Right. Unless Shea Patterson happens to go off, then, you know, I think it's going to be boring. Is Texas-Georgia – it feels like it, it could possibly be a Georgia blowout. I think that's an interesting game, to be honest with you. I like the brand it, names. To me, it depends on which Texas team shows up. Okay. This if could, it's the Texas team that beat Oklahoma, that'll be a good game. If it's the Texas team we've seen more often than not this year, Georgia's going to roll all over them. That Texas coach who came from Houston, I think. Herman, yeah. Yeah. This really could be a huge moment for him. It could be. This you could be the launch pad he needs. Make your statement a New Year's Day game, Sugar Bowl. Because – a lot of people think Georgia should have been in the 14 playoff anyways, yep. not Oklahoma. If you beat that team. So, here's your chance. Yes, sir. Put up or shut up time. The other two, I just, I think Ohio State's an incredible program. I think Washington's talented. I just don't care for this matchup. Well, you know I'm a Huskies fan anyway. I did not know. So, okay. Because yeah, when you're in Alaska, Alaska, everything Seattle-based, is that's your team. Yeah. It just is. So, I've always liked the Huskies. Uh, I think they'll win this game. Me too. I do. Uh, they're, I think they're outright uh, better as a team. Ohio State might have more NFL players. Yeah, I think up and down, Ohio State probably has the better roster, but that doesn't necessarily translate to wins on the field, as uh, we've seen historically. No. Uh, now, if Haskins throws six touchdowns and has 500 yards, it'll be a long day for Washington. Last one of the New Year's Six. UCF, you know, last year. Oh, the national <laughs> champions last year? Oh, yeah, the defending national champions. <laughs> they went down to Atlanta and beat Auburn. Yes, they did. This year they have the Tigers of LSU. Interesting. Is this an interesting one to you? No, because their quarterback is not there. Whose? Oh, UCF. UCF's. He's not going to play. He destroyed his knee. Oh, yeah, he got injured. My bad. He got injured. So, if he was there, I would say, oh, this is this is on my list. Um, I'll still watch it, obviously. But, to me, it lacks some of the, I don't know. Je ne sais quoi. Yeah, je ne sais quoi, because their starting quarterback is not yeah, able I, to play. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, some of the others ones on New Year's Eve New Year, and New Year's Day. Uh, any interest in Kentucky, Penn State? I like Kentucky. Okay. I like Benny Snell. I mean, the I running think, back. I ho- yeah, uh, as far as I know, he's still playing. So, do you have a? I hope they crush Penn State because I hate Penn State. Do you have a, a, a prediction on that game? Kentucky, Penn State. I'm gonna take Kentucky 27, Penn State 17. I would definitely go Kentucky on that game. I think uh, the Outback Bowl down in uh, I guess it's in Florida, yeah, Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. Mississippi State, Iowa is boring to me. Iowa wins. Okay. I, I, yeah, I'd be there with you. Um, I actually like the matchup of two quarterbacks here. The Tax Slayer Bowl is NC State and Ryan Finley yep. and Texas A&M and Kellen Mond. Right. That's actually fun. I think a and is going to take this one. I mean, a lot of scoring. All A&M has to do, I cannot remember the receiver's name. He's got the long dreads. He's about six foot five. I know you're talking about. Just throw it to him. Yeah. Keep Let him it. go get it and, and, and win. The one that game I'm very interested in, like I would love to go, except it's down in Orlando, Florida. The Camping World Bowl – 
is West Virginia and Syracuse. Yeah. I think the West Virginia quarterback is an NFL quarterback. Yep. Syracuse guy Dungy's fun. Yeah, I mean, Will Greer is one of the best quarterbacks Greer. in the country. He is. Um, I'm glad he had a resurgence at West Virginia, you know, compared to what happened to him at Florida. Um, I don't know that Syracuse can score enough to play with West Virginia. I do like Dungy. I like that he's tough. I like Dino Babers. I like what he's doing there. Um, I hate that he had to go to Syracuse to prove himself when he's already done that to get a bigger job. Yeah. I think he's going to be in line for some very big jobs soon if this, he's not already. Yeah, this offseason. Right, this offseason. Uh, I think West Virginia will win that one. Probably two or three touchdowns. The These bowl seasons, I tend to keep it on in the background when I'm doing other things at the house. Right. But there's a couple games that I decide I'm going to watch that game. Yep. I'm going to watch Syracuse-West Virginia. Yeah, I'm going to watch that one. That sounds like a fun football game lots of offense. Because Syracuse, with Babers, they still do fun, weird things on offense. Yeah, they do. But, I mean, I love Dino Babers as a coach and, the, and what they do in his schemes, and he's a great offensive mind. Let me just give you two more that I think have some interest. The lo- Of local interest, South Carolina plays Virginia in the Belk Bowl. In Charlotte? In Charlotte. I would take South Carolina in that game. Virginia had a good start to the year. I don't know. Debo's not playing. Debo Samuel's not playing? No, he's – Because of the NFL? He's done, yeah. Not cool, Debo, because that guy's great. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, what does he gain from playing in the Belk Bowl? And people say, well, he's letting his teammates down. No, he's really not. He's yeah. really not. Also, he has a future that he's trying to achieve, and most of the guys he plays with do not. You you have my also. My also there was, well, he's he has his own interest to serve as well. He's not just for his teammates. He has a family and a future. And yeah, he has a family to look after, a career to look after. If he And he's already suffered the major injury. He can't afford another one. Because you know, once you once you pass from that one to two major injuries, NFL scouts and GMs, well, he's injury prone. Yes, no, so he, he has nothing to gain from playing in the Belk Bowl, I and felt, everything to lose from playing in the Belk Bowl. I felt the same way when McCaffrey and Fournette went out. If you're in a playoff game, right, play. Yeah, but if you're going to the NFL and you know you're going to be a top three round draft pick, and what, don't risk what it. do you gain by playing in the Tax Slayer or the the Belk Bowl? There's nothing. No, you're not going to get a higher grade, right? I think. At this point, NFL guys tend to make – they've already made their determination on your film. Right. And they want to see you at the combine. That's right. After this, it's not a big deal. And, and uh, I am a Clemson fan, and everybody knows that, but I love Debo Samuel. Me too, man. Just like I love Marcus Lattimore. Just like I thought Connor Shaw was a fantastic player and person. Yeah, a great leader as right. well. I uh, love those I guys. I love the way – I loved his game. Right. One last bowl – this feels like it should be called the Disappointment Bowl or the Overrated Bowl. <laughs> but I remember the beginning of the season when people thought Wisconsin was going to be a thing. But in, I'm pretty sure we talked about it. Oh, we did. Because I, I thought they were going to take their division. I thought they were going to win the Big Ten. Right. Um, how wrong I was. Oh, the, yeah. we both. I think everybody was wrong on that one. On, but, and the other team they're playing is also a giant disappointment. In the Pinstripe Bowl, in Yankee Stadium, in the Bronx, Miami Hurricanes, Wisconsin Badgers. Well, I will take – the miss on Wisconsin, but I will not take the miss on Miami. Yeah. I We said it last year. Yeah, you did. They are flashing the pan. They played no one. They won 10 games. They lost four in a row after that. They are n- not what they think they are. I think because I was a big Mark Rick fan, I right. was in a disagreement. I said, they're ascendant. They're right. about to hit a better uh, – <laughs> well, no, they're not. They're, not, they're look, not ascendant. I like Mark Rick as a coach, as a person, but if you look at what he did at Georgia, he has a problem – with getting over the hump with teams. You're right. They had so much talent in Georgia, he couldn't get over the hump. I don't think he's going to do it in Miami. I mean, I look out in the NFL at all those guys that Georgia's put in there. Yeah. I mean, just even go past Gurley and Chubb and those guys. 
over on defense and some of the guys playing for the Bears and, and, and sometimes they couldn't even win the East. Yeah. I'm like, what is wrong? I hate that for Rick because he's another I do. good guy. He's a good person yeah. uh, apart from football, and he uh, he just has a problem with that, and I don't know what it is. Beyond that, I'm sure there's there might be some games of interest for others, but that one that sticks out to me is Texas-Georgia, which is 845 <laughs> – PM. I don't. I can't do it. I'm just hitting my second wind. Yeah, and then that other one is actually 5:15 kickoff for that Camping World Bowl with West Virginia and Syracuse. That one should be a ton of fun. Don't sleep on North Dakota State. Do they have a? They are in the championship for the FCS again. Okay. They, you know, I only get to see them two or three times a year when the playoffs happen. I love watching them. What they do, the Fargo Dome game day's been there a couple times. Oh yeah. If you like good football, you need to watch that game. Uh, I love that you give some love to the other divisions. I do, man. I love it. Yeah, the, the Division Two just had its championship game. Yep. And I think Valdosta State won. Yeah, Valdosta yeah, did. My alma mater, North Greenville, right. plays there. You know, actually, from a Liberty University perspective, since you're a Liberty grad, one last football question. They just hired Art Bright. Oh, uh, no, no, no. No, no, no. Art no. Bryles is their athletic Hugh director. Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze from Mississippi State or Ole Miss. Uh, any thoughts as a Liberty grad on hiring the football coach? Yes, I'm disgusted by it, I actually. Am too. I'm it not, is ridiculous. I would just want to go up there. To somebody that matters, and slap them and say, "What are you thinking?" He's a great coach, but a bad guy. You don't hire these these type of character guys. You just don't do it. Or you give them a longer. Not only that, but two years ago they hired the athletic director who was over Baylor during their scandal. Art Bryles. I'm like, look, I'm all for rehab, but this is not the way to do it. Yeah, I'm actually. So I, if they would have waited a little longer, show me, show me you have changed somewhere else. Yeah, I'm all for a second chance. And then come on over. Right. But they didn't wait. But they haven't proven anything no. as far as change goes. And people know I graduated from Liberty, who I interact with every day at work or whatever, and they were asking me about it. And I think it's a disgrace. I really do. I'm disappointed. It just They didn't wait long enough. Um, but, right. but no hate for Liberty. Still a fantastic place. I think it's just a, a hire on which they jumped the gun. They jumped the gun trying to get the best coach. of, And he's a great coach. Sure is. But you have to take other things into consideration. I yeah. mean, he's in charge of – Young, Young men. adult men minds and their futures and all this stuff. Good point. And he's he's hiring hookers for his players. Gosh, it was terrible. Really? Uh, good thoughts, man. Um, all right, we'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Thanks no, for coming to sports. You're welcome. Yeah, and I know. Ending, <laughs> ending, the, ending the Christmas show yeah. on that note. Good job, Corey. Professional broadcasting. <laughs> all right, thanks, man. Appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, Merry Christmas.